I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi there. I'm Cindy Linden, and this is the Cook Along Podcast. It's been a while since I spoke to you because I've been away. We actually were visiting the East Coast, and this has nothing to do with today's recipe, but we had some amazing food. There's this little shop in Greece, New York. It's a little cafe called Orion's, and it's on Long Pond Road. And I say this in case any of you visit there or live there. It's got the most amazing gelato I've ever, ever had. It looks like ribbons of, oh, I don't even know, ribbons of something rich and thick. Frosting have come out into these vats, these containers for the gelato. And so it's gorgeous to look at, and it will melt in your mouth if you want it to, but you also can chew this gelato. It is so dense. It is so rich. And I will just tell you, by way of telling you how good this is, that there is also, across from the gelato, a huge rack of pastries, baked goods. You know how I feel about baked goods? I barely glanced at any of those pastries once I'd taste this gelato. And we went back several times because I don't live on that coast. I live on the West Coast. We don't have... That kind of gelato here, at least not that I've found. And my other addiction out there is frozen custard, which we have yet to find. I know that the state of Oregon doesn't have any because I look from time to time. All of that, as I said, has nothing to do with the podcast today, except for the fact that I've been away and, in fact, am now away again. I am again visiting my friend Pat at the coast And so we're looking out at this gorgeous ocean view with northwest rainforest on the south side and the ocean on the west side, and it's glorious. And today he's going to make some English muffins with us from scratch. I don't know about you, but I have a deep fondness for English muffins because they hold the butter. You melt it in there. It's just... um, A great way to convey butter to your mouth uh, because it just makes pools of it. And you know how I feel about butter. So we're going to see how these homemade ones are. He's using a recipe from Alton Brown. And I will tell you the ingredients here. It looks like we're using a half cup of nonfat powdered milk, 
a tablespoon plus an eighth of a teaspoon of sugar. That's interesting. He can tell us about that when we get there. Teaspoon of salt, tablespoon of shortening, a cup of hot water, a package of dry yeast, a third of a cup of warm water. That's separate from the hot water. Just so you know, you need two kinds of water here. Two cups of all-purpose flour and some cornmeal. And the recipe specifies two important pieces of hardware. You'll need an electric griddle. And there are some little rings that I've seen in the house. This says three-inch metal rings. And they look like, they look kind of like cookie cutters, only they're a little bigger. And the, the edges on both sides are rolled, if you know what I mean. They're not sharp to cut into something. They're rolled to sit flat on something is what I'm guessing. I am going to give him a microphone and we will make these together and see what happens. This is something I haven't done. Actually, I made English muffins once, maybe, okay, so long ago that if I tell you I am giving away too much about my age, so I'm not going to tell you how long ago it was, but it was a really long time ago. And I thought they were fun, but the ones that I made were too much work, and I just decided I didn't need to do that again. So this one sounds like it's quick and easy for those of you who are trepidatious about making breads. I bet we're not going to have a whole lot of trouble here. But he will fill us in more as we go along. Okay, so the beginning of this, I'm just going to say, is this is easy, easy, easy. It's like making waffle batter, basically, is what it ends up being. (laughs) <laughs> she looks at me dubiously. <laughs> I know, and, and so it's really cool because you get to watch this waffle batter rise like a loaf of bread in a warm place. Are you ready to start? <laughs> All right, so the beginning of this is indeed to have warm water, and so I just use tap water. We're down at the coast. We run on rainwater here. It's all purified And I'm just getting warm enough water so that it's like you'd maybe get ready for a a baby's bath, sort of in that neighborhood. All right, so I just need a one-third of a cup of water, of this warm water that I've got. And I'm going to put it into a bowl. And to that, I am going to add one-eighth of a teaspoon. And what you're going to do is you're going to feed the yeast with just a little bit of sugar. That's why there was the one-eighth of a teaspoon. It's just enough to give the yeast a little something to start hungry. So I stir that around. I am using regular original yeast. And I think I've tried fast before, and it works okay. But I think most of the time I end up buying just this original. So you just put that in on top of the water. And it has to hydrate. So I have a teaspoon and I'm just going to mix it around here. It always likes to stick to the side. So you have to kind of stir down the sides of the little bowl that you're using. So this is like a cereal bowl. And I'm mixing this third of a cup of water, a little bit of sugar, and the yeast in. And after it eventually gets all mixed together and in solution, then I'm going to go on to making the main body of this. This is really just two major separate bowls of stuff that get mixed together. The yeast has a tendency to clump, and so it really, you have to stir it to get it suspended in solution. 
Yeah, I've had that issue before, that if you don't stir it, you end up with clumps that are wet on the outside, but still dry and unproofed on the inside. Yep. And you need every bit of the, the container of this one package of yeast in order for this to work out well. Now, we're down at sea level, and I think this has worked better down here than it actually has in the city. Oh, which interesting. About 150 feet higher, I think, something well, like that. Sake. I don't know, maybe I'm deluding myself. All right, this looks like I've got it pretty well into a suspension. So I'm going to leave it alone, and it'll start bubbling as it goes along here. So the next step is going to be mixing up the hot water with the, the powdered milk. And so for this, I'm just going to use a glass two-quart Pyrex bowl. And I need to add the half a cup of powdered milk to the bowl. And then I need a one cup measuring cup. You know, powdered milk is something that my parents always had in the house when I was a kid. I only remember them using it maybe once in desperation uh, <laughs> because those were the days when the milkman brought milk to your house on a regular basis, like twice a week or something. But we had some. She didn't cook with it. But I feel like at least once we actually drank it and I discovered it doesn't taste Remotely yeah. like milk. Not remotely like milk. But now I have learned that because it keeps forever, it's really handy to keep a box of it in the house for stuff like this, for just recipes. I think it's kind of like more of a protein source than anything else. And since it's non-fat, in addition to adding the powdered milk to the hot water, I've just added a tablespoon of shortening. Now, you should have seen the way he did this because... He used a spoon to scoop it out of the container, but then he used his fingers to scoop it out of the spoon. So It's sticky. What can I say? <laughs> no. it, it doesn't want to do what you want it to do. It's fine. I'm one of those people who believe you cannot really cook if you aren't willing to get your hands dirty. You just have to. Yeah, and I will say one other thing about what I'm doing right now is that this is almost boiling hot water. We have one of those Insta-Hot taps. And so I just took a cup of really hot water and added it to the powdered milk and to the shortening. shortening which was a tablespoon of shortening. Yep. And so it's just melting in there now. It's melting, and it won't melt all the way, I'm just going to tell you. Oh. Now I'm going to add a tablespoon of sugar to this so it'll dissolve in the hot water. Does that actually, is it tasteable? Or does it make them a little sweet when you have the... I think it's more food for immediate sugars. The flour takes a longer time for the yeast to process and begin to break down the starch in it, whereas sugar is just a shorter chain of carbohydrate, and it's easier for the yeast to get started on it. So in other words, what is You're basically right now, feeding them. The yeast is having dinner, and now you're... Well, it, no, it's having it's an dessert. hors d'oeuvre right oh, now. Oh, hors d'oeuvre, and then the main yeah. dish. Okay. And then it comes to the main dish that's <laughs> oh. got the regular amount of... Okay. Now it only the, gets dessert if you put honey on it or something <laughs> when you're done. <laughs> I guess maybe so. All right. Now I need two cups of flour. And I've got a tablespoon and a knife because I, like Cindy, believe that you should spoon out the flour in order to measure it. Even with breads. Now, see, that's something I wasn't feeling sure of because I haven't made a yeast bread in a really long time. And it almost seems like you want the density of packed kind of I don't know. Each time I've done this, it works out reasonably well. And I, I don't fluff it up like you do when you're doing a pastry. 
Okay, so, so he's just scooped it into the measuring cup, and now he's going to level it off with the knife. So there's less flour than if you just reach in and just scoop it out of the bag with your measuring cup, because that packs it down into the cup. And he's put it into a sieve, so we're going to sift it. We're going to sift it, because I, I don't have a sifter down here at the coast. That's okay. I don't like sifters. I find that they make my hands tired, and they get stuck, and I get frustrated. There's stuff that and they're dirty, through, and they're, and they're dirty afterwards, and they're hard to clean. Very hard to clean. So I stopped using a sifter maybe a year and a half or so ago, and I only use the sieves now. He's sifting it. Interesting. He's sifting it onto some parchment paper rather than into a bowl. Oh, I bet because we're going to have to, are we going to have to knead we're it? Just gonna, no. We're just going to pour this into the bowl with the hot oh. water, the milk, and the shortening, and the sugar. Okay. So that's the end of that. I'm telling you, this is really easy to do. Okay. And then there is also some salt that should be added to this. And it is one teaspoon of salt. Now, I'm going to use iodized salt because that's what I've always used in this recipe, and it always turns out just fine. Alton Brown simplified this iteration of this recipe. It used to be you added a half a teaspoon now. Then you added everything together and made the batter for it to rise. Then you added, after it had risen one time, the other half teaspoon of salt, which I always forgot to do. I think he was afraid it would kill the, the yeast. yeast. So Pat just added the salt to the liquid in the bowl, not to the flour, because the flour's still sitting here on the counter. Mm-hmm. And now, to this mixture, I'm just going to feel how warm it is by feeling the outside of the bowl. And it feels warm enough that I'm not afraid I'm going to do the yeast in. and Is it bubbling? It is bubbling. I'll show you in just a second. They're just eating that sugar that we gave them. They get so making, excited. Making carbon dioxide out of it, and that's why you're seeing the fluffy stuff on the top. Now you're just going to add this, and I'm using a little spatula just so I get the last little bits of it out. So now it's gone from a little bowl into the big bowl of liquid. I'll just give it a quick little stir. And to this, I'm just going to add our pre-sifted flour all at once in the bowl. Now, Alton Brown says, use a wooden spoon. Okay. I believe what he says. It's I all about alchemy. I say that, too. <laughs> it's like, well, it says specifically, use a wooden spoon, so I guess I'm going to do that. All right, so it says to beat it okay. with a wooden spoon. I just got a new toy I haven't used yet. It was a birthday present called a Danish dough whisk. And it specifically is for doing stuff like this. It's just sort of a loop of wire. It's a loop of heavy wire that is for uh, stirring bread products. And and you do it by hand? And you do it by hand. Huh. And I guess the shape of the wire helps scoop up the dough. He's working really hard. Just so you know, he's working really hard. He's I sort of feel like exercise. you aerate it, and additionally, I think it starts to develop some of the gluten that's in oh, the I flour. Can see, yeah, I actually can see that. So it does have some elasticity yeah, yeah. already. So when he holds up the spoon, it kind of it takes a moment before it decides to drip off. It's definitely kind of stretchy. Sticky. Stretchy and sticky, yeah. Okay, so now that's all there is to it. This is entirely assembled at this point. Wow. So I'm going to just clean off the wooden spoon with my finger. I wonder if you use a metal spoon, if it just is too cold or if the chemistry of <laughs> I wonder metal. if the ions come off of the metal That's what I was thinking. and do something bad to the yeast. Yeast are living little things, and they don't like being treated the wrong way. They have 
energy needs, and that's the reason for the sugar to begin with. The temperature's got to be right. So now the next step is that we're going to let this rise, and I'm going to use the parchment paper over. This says? It says 45 minutes, I think. 30. Let it cover the bowl and let it rest in a warm spot for 30 minutes. Okay. So I have a warm spot. My warm spot is on top of my Breville oven. It's like a toast. Is it a toaster oven? Yeah, it's like a little toaster oven that I set on warm. Oh. And on top of it here, is it 120 degrees the oven is? And I've got a grilling pan on top of it, so it's not actually in direct contact. The glass Pyrex isn't on top of it. This is so smart. When I first looked at this and read this to you a second ago, I thought about the fact that this house being at the coast is a pretty cool, it's not got a lot of warm spots. And I never thought of this. You know, they tell you not to put stuff on top of the toaster oven unless you're keeping something warm that you've already cooked in the toaster oven. But this is so smart. There's nothing in the toaster oven. It's a broiler pan on top of the toaster oven that's been made to heat up, and then he's got parchment paper over the top of the bowl to retain the heat. It's so smart. I never thought of that, and uh, mine is not nearly this big. I also have a Breville, but it's like half this size because the kitchen that we're going to remodel that I've talked to you guys about, my cupboards are too low. There's no way I could fit this in there. They're going to be higher, I think, when we remodel. Which reminds me, I'm still happy to have you help me remodel my kitchen to make the podcast better and make room for a new, higher, taller Breville toaster oven. <laughs> if you want to visit my Patreon site, patreon.com, and you put in the Cook Along podcast, and you will find my page, and there are places where you can sort of join the club, and you'll get recipes as soon as I post them. I put as an audio file, you'll get a printed version available to you, so you don't have to listen to me past the first time. Or I guess you wouldn't even have to listen to me the first time, although I I hope you do. Now I'm sad. (laughs) It's like, what am I posting these recipes for? They'll never listen to me again. (laughs) All right. All right, so so that is entirely the procedure here. All right, so we're going to go away. For half an hour. Well, and so here's my other tip. Okay. Is to let it go longer than that. It doesn't hurt anything to let the yeast mature more. Okay. And I have found that at about an hour, the dough or batter, whatever you want to call this, will have lofted up to the top of the two quarts. And it turns out with a fluffier, more little holes. I was going to say, if it makes more holes to hold more butter, I'm all in. That's my goal. Okay. So I've actually discovered that an hour works best. So we're going to take a break for an hour while it does its thing. All right. Yeast, go to work. Go do something. Let uh, clean your kitchen. Uh, Take a walk. There you go. Take a walk. It's good for you. And then you'll be walking off the calories for these in advance. And come back to us as soon as your dough has, it looks like, maybe kind of doubled. Or maybe tripled. Or maybe tripled. Give us an hour and then come on back to us and we'll finish these up. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. 
And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Now we're back, and we have an electric griddle that's been heated up, and the dough, which I do the batter, I guess it's a batter. I just took a picture of it, and you can see that on the website, which is thecookalongpodcast.com. Go look at the pictures. This is astounding how far this dough raised. It tripled in size from where it started, and that's just the yeast consuming all of the uh, sugar, that tablespoon of sugar and the carbohydrates that are in the flour, and turning it into carbon dioxide. And so it just makes it fluff up like that. So you got to have good yeast in order to be able to do this. You can't use old yeast. The batter, I'm going to tell you, will very quickly deflate as soon as you start to handle it. And I use a one-third of a cup measuring cup, a metal one, in order to take out the aliquots that I'm going to put into seven of these English muffin rings. And you have to order them online. Uh, there's nothing, I don't think you can probably walk into any even good kitchen supply store and find Say English muffin Say rings. English muffin rings. Huh. So you are going to take one-third of a cup and take the glop that it is and put it into the rings. But before you do that, you should spray the inside of each one of the rings with canola oil. Actually, so, he's, he, it looks like he's mostly spraying the griddle, not necessarily the rings, because the rings are going to... Do they need to be greased well, as well? No, I mean, you spray it out of a spray can, and I think it kind of gets the rings as it's being sprayed in, so I just spray a little bit into each one. But after you do it, the next step is to put some cornmeal. I use polenta, because that's what we have in the house right now, which is corn grits. It's a little more coarse than what I have. I just have regular cornmeal at home. So this is a little bigger pieces and actually look like they'd make a really nice crunch on the top or the bottom. You know how English muffins have cornmeal of some kind on the outside. That's how you know they're English muffins? I, I don't, don't know. know. That's just sort making of a tradition. That but it's I, a tradition. There you go. I don't know that it adds very much other than a little bit of a crunchy texture to one side of it. So after you prepare the, the rings with the oiling and with the, the spray oil and with the polenta, then you put a third of a cup of the batter into each one of the seven rings. Now, now the I'm recipe... Just, I'm going to interject here for just yeah. a second. So what he's pulling out isn't measured. It's just 
like big gloppy bunches. He's using the measure cup as a scoop, but there's a bunch kind of lobbed over the top and lopping you down the sides. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just too sticky. It sticks to the, everything that it comes in contact with. So an accurate one-third of a cup is not important. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Right. You're trying not to overfill the rings if you can help it because you'll end up, as you're going to see in the end product, some of them are going to be a little bit oversized. But that's okay because when I've tried to make eight of them, then I end up with eight small ones rather than normal size one. So I prefer to just shoot for seven, and this recipe, I think, works out better for that. I've tried it both ways. Did, right, your, so, did your rings come in a set of eight, or did yes, you have to... Yes, they came okay. in a set of eight. All right, there you go. So you put your rough third cup into each one, and then it's very important, after you quickly distributed the batter, to put the lid back on the skillet, because it has to steam. During the second raising, when the batter comes in contact with a 300-degree skillet, it's going to start making steam, and you want to capture the steam in order to begin to cook the interior of each one of these muffins. And that's part of probably what causes them to have those nice little bubbles and pockets in them that Cindy likes to put butter into. So I am realizing as I'm, as I'm watching you do this that my skillet is like a pancake griddle. It's a flat griddle. It doesn't have a lid. So going back to the, what I told you earlier about the equipment, you need to have not just an electric skillet, but it needs to have... Actually, it needs to be pretty sizable because I have maybe a 12-inch square one at home that I don't think I'd be able to get these all in at one time. But also, it has to have a lid on it. Yeah, okay. to seal tightly. See, I think that's what's different. When I did it before, I did it on a, I did it on a griddle. And so... I think that certain of these recipes work with a dough. That's that right. That actually is more like bread dough. When yeah, I think it, I had to... cut them out. Yep. Yep, that's what I did, and that was just too much work. Yeah, and so this is not like working with that. This is more like working with a pancake in essence, but the texture of it is far different than a pancake because of the yeast. Yeah, I love how they rose, rise. I love how they're rising. They smell amazing. They smell really good. It, it smells almost like the batter smells kind of sour. Like somehow in an hour you've managed to create a sourdough. <laughs> it doesn't seem possible, but that's what it seems like. So now they're, they're really all puffed up. They're puffed up beyond the edge of the ring. They smell really good. Oh, look at that. They're beautiful. They're toasty and brown. We've been prattling on here with our own little conversation without my telling you what's going on. So he is, Pat is right now flipping the English muffins over with complete with the ring, the whole thing, spatula underneath and flipping them over. He left them to cook for five minutes while we were chatting away here. And they're puffed up. You know what? I bet that part of the reason you don't get eight is because, I mean, if you made it so they didn't puff quite so high, you'd get shallower muffins, but you might get eight out of it. Well, and you're right. You do get a shallower muffin, and I, I really prefer them to have some height like this. That's fun, actually. And I think your desire to have everything have more butter in it is accomplished to a greater degree <laughs> by have taller, <laughs> taller muffins. muffins. They have more <laughs> places to put butter in each one. All right. Totally works. And so it gets another five minutes on this side. And some of them really do poof out. I've got one that uh, looks like it's escaping from its ring. And what you can do afterwards is trim that down so that they all look the same. Or you can just say, I have one ugly muffin and just call it good. Because it doesn't matter. Although, if you trim them, do you eat it? I, of course, do. Then it makes it harder to decide. 
Yeah, I, <laughs> the strange-looking ones often get eaten for breakfast with uh, butter and peanut butter on them. There you go. And what we're going to use them for is to make eggs benedict. So that's supposed to be beautiful. Yeah, so you have to have beautiful muffins for that. So we might have to taste test them with the, the spark parts that are, are exploding. Beyond you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with ugly eggs benedict or rustic, rustic eggs benedict. I'm <laughs> also okay having to rescue them from their deformity by taste testing. So, again, I put the lid back on because they really need the steam. There's a lot of water that is in the dough itself or in the batter itself. And part of the cooking process that yields these nice um, little holes inside of the muffin itself is steam being generated. And so it needs to maintain the moisture inside of it. I forgot to put the lid on them one time, and they didn't turn out nearly as nice. So it's really essential to put the lid back on the skillet after you flip them over. As in the interior was different? Yep. It was much denser. It didn't come out with as nice, fluffy, big holes in it. Interesting. So I don't know the chemistry behind this. This is another one of these things, you know, Alton Brown has done these experiments to run and see which one of the turns out the best. And I really honestly follow his instructions to the letter, basically. Okay. So how, so they get the same same amount of time on the second side? Five minutes. The first side, six minutes, and the second side usually only takes about five. And then the next thing I need to do, actually, be to prepare for what's coming up next, is I need to get a cooling rack to be able to put them on two. So I've got that out now. So when they hit the magic time, we'll lift them out, and they will get cooled down over a period of about 30 minutes or so, and then it, it'll be possible for you to split them. So when you bought these rings, are they specified for English muffins? Yes. They really are. Uh -huh. Now, I don't know that you couldn't use them for a whole host of other things. I just haven't ever discovered the other part. But online, my wife found English muffin English rings. English muffin rings. Because they seem a little smaller, maybe, around than like... Uh, Thomas's English muffin or something. Yeah, I think that that's true. And Thomas's are not as high as the. Right. The product is always really good. It works well for what we usually use it for, which is eggs Benedict. <laughs> eggs Benedict was probably the first recipe I perfected in my in my college days, and uh, it was really I didn't think of myself as a cook at the time. But I honed it until I got the sauce the way I wanted it, and I haven't made it in years because it's really a complicated recipe that I do. You're making me really feel as though these are so easy, it's sort of silly not to make them. Well, you got to wait until you see the interior of them because they may not be just exactly what you're used to. I don't think that these are big, open, airy, bubbly insides. They have a beautiful texture. Now, I, I think that they're very, very good, but they are not like store-bought English muffins. Okay. Okay. All right, so they've had their additional five minutes, plenty of steam after we lift the lid off of it, and now we're just going to That almost doesn't seem like out. it's enough to cook No, isn't that amazing? Well, I think it's partially because of the steaming uh, it's thing. It's getting to along. the inside. Yeah, somehow. I'm going to flip one over. Oh, See? my gosh, look at that. Oh, I love this. This is great. Gorgeous. Okay, so now that they've sat out on the cooling rack for five minutes or so, 
I'm just going to push them out of the ring. The rings obviously have to be cool enough for you to be able to put your fingers on. But they should push out easily if the batter is finished cooking. And these are all coming out pretty nicely. So did you let them cool for a specific set of time? I wasn't watching. Five minutes, roughly. I mean, it's just enough so that the ring is cool enough for me to be able to handle it. Perfect. Okay. And I think you should take a picture of them now because now they can see the really oversized, big, ugly ones (laughs) compared to the other ones. And then we'll trim them up. Okay. All right. Got it. Now, I would not do anything with them for a period of time. I think they need maybe 30 minutes to sit before anything is done. Because if you open them up now, the steam on the inside of these that I think is still cooking the interior will be lost. Ah, good good point. Oh, yeah, they do still feel kind of warm when I put my hands over them. Mm Mm-hmm. So they're going to finish So then cooking. they would come out uncooked, un- undercooked. Yeah, if you started using them right now, I think they would be undercooked in the center. Interesting. So you just let them carry over cook uh, outside of the rings. Okay. If you let them sit in the rings too long, I've discovered that they start sticking to the rings. And then you can't push them out. Oh, interesting. So give them about five minutes after coming out of the pan, push them out of the rings, let them sit for 30 minutes, and then you're ready to have an English muffin. All right, so if you want to stick around, I'm going to add another picture to the website, and you can go and look at that. Again, that's the cookalongpodcast.com. And otherwise, you can just go on and experiment with these on your own on an ongoing basis until you get them the way that you like them. Notice the difference in size in the picture. Some of these are smaller, and some of them are monster size. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, that's food. It doesn't have to be perfect. I like that. It doesn't have to be perfect. Somewhere on my website, there is, I think it might be under breakfasts, there is a recipe for homemade apple butter that might be lovely on these. And I think that otherwise, you know, jam of your choice or honey or peanut butter. Peanut butter. Peanut butter. Yeah. With butter. You butter it first and then put peanut butter. That's what I do too. I always felt like I was ducking and I never told anybody that uh, I did that. You've just admitted it publicly. (laughs) You do it too. (laughs) And everything melts then. It's really fabulous. And of course you want to toast these, right? You put them in a toaster. Yeah, absolutely. After you split them apart. You know, we should maybe comment on splitting them apart. Okay. The traditional way that this is done is with two forks. That's why they call them fork split Yeah, in the store, right? So I prefer that you didn't use a serrated knife on them because it'll destroy some of the bubbly structure on the inside. And so you just take two forks, and you can actually do it with one. You put the fork in the side of the muffin and then just wiggle it from side to side going around and pretty soon it'll just open up. It's not perfectly split down the middle like you'd get if you had used a knife, but it retains that internal structure. That okay, it's like you're prying a lid crumbly. off of a jar or something. Mm, it's like sorta, huh? Okay. We'll show you a picture of it after we open up one. Okay, cool. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoy these. I hope you have a good time making these. I hope you make them again and again. Thank you to Pat for, again, giving us a recipe I would never have attempted. And until next time, happy cooking. Hold up. 
Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code presson25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Presson Falsies. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can make a contribution through the supporter link on every Cook Along podcast page or go to Kofi ko-fi.com slash the cook along podcast. Thanks for your support and thanks for listening.